Right, Owen, we'll hand over the reins to you. I'm going to stop share here. Uh, just uh, officially, I'd like to thank our, our speakers today. Um, the agenda we're covering is, is as... Can you see the agenda there? So we have Owen Bagnell from Air Inspection. Um, Owen is going to talk about the uh, full gas pad boroscope um, 360 versus uh, rigid boroscope and interpreting boroscope damage, followed then by Pierre Bertolo from SR Technique. Brian Pat is going to talk about uh, the challenges of engine lease returns. And uh, then last but not least, Mike uh, Redman from AIAP will give us a little bit of an update on on APUs in the current climate. So uh, on that note, I'm going to hand over to Owen. So, all good Owen? All is good here. Um, okay, good afternoon everyone. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you Alan for organizing. Um, I'm just going to speak on the subject of boroscopes. Um, this is a high-level overview of boroscoping, um, so we won't delve too deep into the technical aspects on, and focus mainly on lease returns. So my name is Owen Bagnell, I'm from Aero Inspection and I'm based in Shannon, Ireland. Uh, we're a boroscope blend company, as other things, the ASA Part 21. Uh, we have the ASA FA145 for the boroscope and bore blend. And so the topics being covered today will be what is a full gas path boroscope? What are the tasks? Is it open to interpretation? Look at the 360 inspections and finish up then with interpretation of damage. So we'll start off with full gas path, which is a term we hear all the time and it's written in a lot of lease contract. So the full gas path is not actually a technically defined term in most AMMs. Okay, so when people talk about what a full gas path is, we can look at the uh, the low pressure compressor blades, the high pressure compressor blades, the combustion chamber, the high pressure turbines, the NGVs before that, then the low pressure turbines. So you can see there a list of some of the tasks. So one thing, the first thing to note here is that the fan generally doesn't have a boroscope inspection, so it should not appear on a boroscope inspection form one, certainly in the ASA land. So you'll be looking at the booster section, the FM56 we're looking at here. So you've got stages two, three, four, five, but you don't have the fan. And then you have the high pressure compressor rotor assembly stages one to nine, so that'll be the blades. Now, any damage spot when doing a boroscope uh, on the way in or on the way out um, can't be ignored. So if you see damage, you take note of it. Uh, the, the combustion chamber liner and dome area, the HPT nozzle assembly, which is the NGVs, and then the blades, you can have the shrouds. Now the, um, the low pressure turbine nozzle assembly can either have a rigid or a flexi, and we'll look at that in a, in a moment on the differences between the rigid and the flexi and why you would do one or the other. And then you've got your LPT turbine stage blades one to three. <clears throat> and you can have the stage two to four nozzle segments. Now that's generally a rigid, uh, but a flexi has been called up in the past on some engine types. And then you've got the inspection of the LPT stage four blades. 
Um, so we get, they're the CFM56 samples. Now, if you've got a larger engine with a three spool, you'll have an intermediate compressor and an intermediate turbine as well to add to that. So some of the other examples of things we can be asked to do is the horoscope inspection, the outer side of the combustion chamber liner, which is the cold side inspection. Now on the Rolls-Royce engines, for example, if you find a crack in the hot side of the combustion chamber, it will ask you to inspect the outside, the cold side of it to see if the crack goes all the way through. Then we get things like the inner cowl bolts in the combustion chamber, uh, the outer air duct condition uh, for the outer air duct and the stationary air seals. So there are just some examples of additional tasks that we can be asked to do, but they would not be standard in the full front to back. So um, additionally to that, if there's any ADs on the engine that require bore scope, we can be asked to do that or SBs. Now, some of the more modern uh, geared turbofans like the PW1000G, you'll get a gearbox inspection requested as well which is, um, um, and we also have gearbox inspections on the smaller engines, such as the, Peter, um, the Pratt & Whitney 100, 150. So they're quite common in that. So when they're saying full gas path inspection, the range of tasks can differ greatly. Uh, we also have FOD inspection tasks. So these are in the AMM. So if you uh, come across any uh, foreign object damage, You'll be asked just to do a, a two, six, and eight, for example, on the CF um, 56. And one of the more common things coming up now is to do a full gas path on induction into a check during a handback. And then after the demo flight, you only do a FOD inspection. And it's because it, that way you reduce the risk of grounding the aircraft after the demo flight. And that is, has to be agreed between the lesser and the lessee, of course. Um, most of the work we do is delivery and re-delivery inspections. So the tasks should be the same on delivery and re-delivery. So if there's a 360 called up on delivery, you should be insisting on a 360 on the way back out and vice versa, of course. And also which the tasks have to be done either for the ESM or the AMM. So the most common one is the AMM. Some engines like the CFM 56 don't even have a bore scope anymore in the ESM. They just direct you back to the AMM. So if we're in a situation where the inspection is done as per the AMM on the way out, delivering the aircraft to the airline, it should be done as per the AMM on the way back. Now the, the limits are obviously very different in the shop manual in as opposed to the AMM. So they're much tighter in the shop manual. So in order to, to keep the aircraft flying, you should be using the AMM unless it's actually in a shop. Uh, a couple of years ago, when an aircraft was being delivered or re-delivered, the airline would do their own bore scope and then the leasing company would hire an independent organization such as ourselves to do another bore scope directly afterwards. It's very time consuming and there can be differences in interpretation. So now what's becoming more common is missing of one boroscope. So an independent organization such as ourselves will carry out the boroscope tasks and we'll be witnessed by a boroscope inspector from 
the delivering airline and probably one from the airline that's going to be taking the engine on, which means that you do one scope with three inspectors and everybody agrees on the final results at the end. Um, when you're doing a bore scope for a delivery or re-delivery, it should never have any follow-up inspections, repeat inspections, reduced intervals. So as soon as you spot something that's going to cause um, a reduced interval immediately, um, it wouldn't be just accepted the way it would be on line maintenance. Uh, one of the most common causes of contention and confusion on the borescope work scope is the 360 degree flexi inspection versus the rigid inspection. And this particularly on the uh, CFM 56 LPT NGVs. So the manual will tell you you can do either or. It doesn't, it's the same task. It says use either a rigid or a flexi. If you're using a rigid, you only inspect what can be seen at the port area. If you're doing a flexi, it shows you the entire way around. And obviously there's a lot more to see, which increases the risk of uh, damage. Uh, on certain AMMs, the rigid limits are tighter than on the flexi. So if you see some damage on a rigid and it drives you to a reduced interval, you can then opt for a flexi, do the full way around and you, if there's no further damage, you can reduce the uh, reduced interval inspection. Um, the 360 has a risk of equipment getting stuck. Now, um, it's a standard task, so it's only in inexperienced hands that it would have a risk of getting stuck, uh, but it does cause wear on the probe itself. You know, it's a very tight area and um, so the, the rigid inspection as standard wouldn't cause any wear on the, on the equipment. It's just, that's just a note. So there's an example on the left is what you can see on a rigid image. It's like a little periscope. You, you go through the port, you look there, you look around. If you see no damage, you move on. With the flexi, you can see there, you bring the probe all the way around till it's back on top of itself and then slowly pull it back out so you see the entire way around and see all the damage, that any damage that might be there. Uh, just on some different types of damage, uh, this is an example of a tear. Uh, tears are usually in the, um, the HPC and they are generally unserviceable on a lot of engines. So as soon as you see a tear, uh, your engine could be in trouble. Now, one of the, the most common solutions for a tear like this would be to bore blend it out. And that can be, that can be done very quickly um, on wing with no further access needed than you would be required for the boroscope. And you just uh, blend it out as per the AMM. And on most engines now, there is no follow-up inspection on a bore blend. So the engine is fully serviceable without reduced inspections after a bore blend. There's a crack. A lot of the AMMs will tell you that the, you measure the crack, but if it goes across more than two panels or three panels, that's when you run into trouble. So that's something to watch out for. Um, the cracks in the combustion chamber can be covered in soot. They're the most tricky damage to identify and to measure because of all the additional stuff in the combustion chamber. Uh, that's a dent, um, pretty standard impact dent. Uh, the measurement of that um, you is 
again, tricky. You are looking more at the deflection than the depth of the dent, well, as per the AMM. So if it's looking for deflection, uh, you need you need to be using something like the um, iPlex NX or the, um, the GD Mentor uh, 3D phase measurement, so you can get a very accurate measurement on that. Uh, there's a standard nick. These are the one of the most common things we see. They're little nicks. Uh, we measure them, uh, line across the, the front of the blade, and then the depth of it, and uh, measure it as per the AMM. And missing tip corner, so you're measuring the area of missing material on that one. Uh, this is an example of a burn through hole. Again, in the combustion chamber, you can see there a reference on the uh, the cooling hole, which you will, from your AMM, you will know the diameter of. So it's a very good reference point to prove that your measurements are accurate. And as I said earlier on the Rolls-Royce, you can be looking at the cold side then to see if it goes, well, not in this one, this is clearly a hole, but if you're looking at a crack to see if it goes the whole way through. Um, then finally, we're looking at here is a Boeing AMM and an example of damage. So this is from one of our reports. And you, as you can see, we've highlighted the area that we're referencing with the yellow box. So there's no confusion as to what, uh, where exactly we are pointing at the damage. So it says here, so the damage in area E is less than uh, 0.5 mil deep. And the damage not in area E is less than 0.8 deep. And it, so, uh, so that's what you're exam examining for. And that's an example of a Boeing one. Then you can see an Airbus one. Now, I've selected this one because it's showing Nick's dense and missing material on the leading and trailing edge. Um, but any amount, if the damage is less than 0.76 mil. And this directs you then for an extension limit, but it also directs you to a repair. So when you would click through that on Airbus World, it will bring you to the bore blend task and that'll show you how to carry out the repair uh, and what the limits for the repair are. And that usually if we were coming across something like that and it directs you to the repair and we can repair it, then you can uh, continue on in service with no reduced intervals. Um, so that's um, a very, very brief and high level overview of delivery and re-delivery boroscopes. Um, so if you want to find out anything further, I'll be around for questions at the end. And of course, you can contact us directly. We have um, offices in Shannon and Singapore. All right, thank you very much. That's great, Owen. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll move swiftly along now to Pierre from SR Technique. Uh, Pierre is uh, going to cover, uh, you know, COVID-19 in an engine shop and how they're addressing it and also a little bit of overview of, of what uh, SRT are seeing in the marketplace uh, currently as well. So over to you, Pierre. Thank you, Alan. Thank you as well for, for having me today. Uh, so we hope everybody's uh, safe at home uh, with your family as well. I'm going to go quickly first through who's SRT, just to position the conversation. Uh, and then I'll go through what Alan just mentioned. Uh, so SRT does aircraft services, components services, line maintenance and training. Uh, but what we're going to focus today on is uh, engine services. And for those, we do CFM 56-5B, uh, 5C, and 7Bs, but also Pradimitne 4000s, 94-inch and 100-inch. Uh, uh, just for the records, last year we did 215 inductions. 
So where are we located? Uh, so Switzerland, around here, uh, for engine services. In Ireland, we have a shop doing air foils, uh, repairs. Um, in Spain, as well as Malaysia, we have our shops for component services. And then in Malta, we have our hangars for, for aircraft services. And then we have a multitude of uh, offices around the globe. Uh, so I'm sure there is one close to you. So what are we here to talk about today? Um, with the COVID-19, there is a lot of disruptions in the industry. I guess you all have seen a lot of webinars on the subject. So how is this, how is this impacting an engine shop? Um, well, on our side, what we see is that the supply chain is reliable as of today. And by that, we mean the material, the new material is delivered on time from the OEMs. We have seen, of course, uh, you know, one or two days delay here and there, but no significant disruption from the OEMs. Also on the USM supply side, uh, it's still continuous uh, and there is no sign yet of increased offer. Um, and I think the industry is pretty much mirroring the demand. So if the demand will be here, there will be more offers. Uh, on the subcontractor side, um, we have, well, of course, SRT has a lot of in-house capabilities, but when we externally repair uh, parts, uh, we do not have any delays uh, on those because there, again, our suppliers have spare capacity. Uh, so deliveries are timely. They are not impacting turnaround times. Um, lastly, transportation um, would also be seen as a, as a critical point, but there again, uh, it generally works fine for transporting engines around the globe. Uh, the real issue is really to get the engines removed uh, because you know, when you really have a lockdown in a country uh, like we recently had and still have in India, um, you just can't get the engines removed. Um, if you had them removed, you can get them moved. That's not the issue. Uh, on piece parts, there we, we don't see any disruption actually. Uh, the cargo operators are, are striving. They ramped up their capacity uh, to complement from the lack of PAX transportation. Um, and we, we do not see any delay in our supply chain for piece part transportation. For SR Technics, um, so I'll get into more details, but uh, on the manpower side, we, we do not have any limitations. Uh, we are fully operational in Zurich as well as Cork. Um, so we'll see that in more details. Uh, as for the input level, um, SRT is currently working quite a lot uh, and we have 30% of available capacity today. Uh, the, we have a global customer base and that is important because depending where you are on the globe today, you're more or less impacted by the COVID-19. Um, so we've seen first shutdowns coming from China, uh, but nowadays the first uh, demands are coming back from the same areas. So that's uh, evening out uh, a little bit the, uh, the depression on our side. Um, and last but not least, uh, turnaround times. Currently turnaround times that we are achieving in Zurich are better compared to the 2019s. Uh, so 2019s, everybody remembers, uh, there was just too much demand, the shops couldn't cope. Um, and nowadays the, the coin has flipped completely. Um, and with everything I've just explained above, the turnaround times are actually better. So how do we manage that in Zurich? Um, well, first and foremost, we have a, an overarching action plan 
that has four levels, four levels of, uh, of action. Depending on the severity of the COVID-19 in Switzerland, we have different levels of lockdown of our people. Uh, so currently we are on level four, uh, the, sorry, level three, uh, almost the most severe one. We do not have any COVID-19 uh, uh, patient in the shop. Um, so that's why we're level three. Uh, but it means to us that we will see in details, uh, we have home office, we have all the measures in place, um, which are slowly but surely losing up uh, now that um, all the countries are deconfining. So what are we doing? Uh, standard measures, um, like everybody, we adhere to the measures proposed by the WHO. We do have social distancing, including in the shop, uh, not always possible, um, but we, we ensure it with floor markings. Uh, we use masks that we have sourced uh, ourselves and we produce our own hand cleaning. We have all the office staff at home working, but at home. And as soon as there is a suspicion of somebody that was in contact with the COVID, he's gone in quarantine very strictly uh, and up until two weeks. And then after he comes back, um, back to, to normal work. So that's, I would say, quite standard. Um, then we've, we have done one or two steps ahead. Um, so we, we have split the shifts. So the morning shift and the, the late shift do not uh, see each other. So there is a one, one hour split in between. We've done the same with, uh, with the break times um, that are spread around. And, and the canteen is closed, again, to limit uh, you know, social, uh, uh, to, to emphasize social distancing. Locker rooms are not being used. Uh, people change at home. And we incentivize people to commute with their car when they have to, to avoid public transport which is heartbreaking in Switzerland, I can tell you. <laughs> um, we, so I said we produce our own hand sanitizer. Um, okay, one thing we have introduced as well, and that's important to, to this round today, uh, is what we call the remote table inspection. Um, so we have equipped our engineers in the shop with cameras uh, that can grab videos of the engines during this assembly uh, in dirty condition which videos can be seen uh, then after on the internet by our customers. So the need of a physical table inspection is virtually removed and those table inspections can take place from home, um, either being on the basis of a video or we can also do it live uh, in the sense that our engineers can broadcast live on the internet um, the condition of the engine and then our customers can see it and interact. As to see, you know, HPT vein, the way around, um, all of that can happen as, um, as they are staying at home. So no need anymore to travel to Zurich, even though we, we love seeing our customers here. Um, so in Switzerland, we have this thing called short time work, which allows us to reduce capacity. Um, reducing people's working time, which means that we have a flexibility to adjust our capacity to demand uh, without letting people go. That's very important nowadays. Uh, we have very talented and qualified staff, which we do not want to go, but we have sometimes to adjust. Um, as I said, we have 30% 
capacity available, so we have reduced people to 70% in most cases. Um, so, uh, as a last word on that section, SRT shop is completely operational and there is immediate capacity available for future work. Um, I hear very often that in a crisis, uh, there, there are opportunities and maybe that's the right round to discuss about it. Um, what I just mentioned already is the immediate inductions that are possible that around the globe, not only SRT, any shop would have capacity today for you. Um, the supply chain surprisingly is reliable and that's great. The, the, the industry is thriving, which means that the turnaround times can be very good. And the last point in my view is the most essential. Um, cash is king. Cash is essential today and not time. Airlines are not flying. They don't usually need the assets up and flying. So what can we do during that time to, well, improve everybody's situation, meaning how can we reduce our cost? So what we, we're starting to see more and more are concepts where we slow down shop visits. Namely, we would start an engine, go through the inspections and the repairs, and collect all the scrap needs, so the material requirements. And based on those requirements, we would start looking for use serviceable material on the market. And there, most likely, we would find, you know, within a couple of months, most of it. Um, it takes a lot more time than a standard shop visit, maybe one or two months on top. Um, but the, the return on investment is very good. So this has a downside. The downside is that it spreads the need for cash because evidently the, the spending is going through the entire time of the show visit. Um, so for that, there are some solutions available. Um, one in Switzerland is called the Swiss Export Credit Insurance, SERV, uh, which allows, well, which permits our customers to spread their, their cash um, and effectively to defer payments. SRT would in turn not be impacted by the cash uh, deferral, but our customers would benefit from it. So that's it from my side, Alan. Thank you very much, Peter. Very interesting. Um, I have a couple of questions myself. I'll hold off until the end. Uh, <laughs> we'll get the other guys on board um, and uh, we'll move on to the next presentation, uh, which is from Brian Pat. Brian is with Aviation Management uh, in the US and very special thanks to Brian for getting up at three o'clock in the morning West Coast time to be with us. Uh, and he's looking bright and well there. So Brian, I'll hand over to you now. Okay. Let me get the uh, presentation fully up. Yeah, all good. We can see that, I think. Okay, perfect. So uh, thanks for the introduction, Alan. And uh, so the topic, uh, for uh, myself, aviation management today is the uh, challenges of engine lease returns during COVID-19. Kind of follow right up with uh, the last presentation, so perfectly fits in here. Um, oh, why isn't it going forward here? There we go. So, you know, the typical objective of a current time lease return with COVID and is really to turn off the lease as soon as possible, you know, 
uh, airlines uh, need to stop the bleeding sooner and the leasing companies need to get back their asset to put back into service sooner. Um, they must have all lease return requirements fulfilled prior to stopping lease payments. And of course, the goal is to uh, retrieve the asset from an airline lessee prior to starting the bankruptcy process. Some of the current headwinds, um, you know, as far as the challenges for an efficient lease return, you know, remote work is, uh, is taking longer. Not everybody can be on site or travel. Um, ensuring the aircraft is located at a maintenance base that is accessible. Uh, that's, that's one of the main concerns as well. And lack of dedicated resources at the airline or the MROs due to COVID. You know, many people are working from home, as you know, uh, including the records personnel. Um, several airlines and MROs have already had furloughs and layoffs. Um, could be restricted uh, by delays uh, just due to some of the quarantine uh, problems that we face. So understanding uh, the next bullet here, you know, I think is also very key. Um, understanding the four stakeholders and their respective roles and the responsibilities, um, you know, airline, lessee, uh, basically the current operator, um, you need to know if the airline or, or it can be sometimes on wing support, uh, you know, removing the engine, um, who's the, res the responsibility for accomplishing the end of lease checks and moving the engine to the housekeeper. This should be sure, uh, clearly defined in the, uh, in the contract. Preferred, So, um, and so, can you hear me? Is uh, Brian is frozen? Is that, that is that correct? Same here. Yes. All right. Okay. So, um, we'll give him give him we'll give him twenty seconds or thirty seconds, and uh, if he comes back, if not, uh, we'll move on to uh, to uh, Mike Redman's uh, presentation. So, just give him a couple of minutes and see what happens. Obviously, we're we have uh, internet across the Atlantic and, uh, okay, so Brian is cut out there. Oh yeah, Brian, you're back there. Okay. I see you bottom left, your your screen froze there for a second. Do you oh, want to just, okay, sorry about that. Just, just hit your uh, screen share again there and see what happens. Yep, sorry, technical difficulties. Now my mouse stopped, hang on. Let me go over here and do it if I can. Apologize. Let me do this real quick. We have Mike on standby anyway, if you want to take a minute or two. Right. Yeah, give me one second. If I don't get it, we'll go to Mike. Sorry about that, Alan. Just while we're waiting, there's a couple of questions there on the chat screen. If you see them, if if you're interested uh, in responding, Pierre, or own, um, or we can leave it till the end, uh, or you can contact the, the, the questioners uh, um, privately yourselves, but uh, some interesting topics there uh, coming up. And uh, feel free to post any questions there. If we can't get to them on the call, we'll get back to you uh, at a later stage. 
Alan, I can pick up on the question from Eddie if you wish. Okay, go ahead, yeah. yeah. So the question from Eddie is, uh, would, would SRT consider uh, a, a prepayment um, for a discounted firm fixed price to collect cash in advance? Mm. Uh, so so the, the answer is, is not straightforward, um, but evidently, as I said, cash is important. So if there is cash up front, there would be there would be some reduction of pricing that we would uh, we look we would look at um, to then switch into a firm fixed price, which would also include not only reduced margin but uh, an increased level of risk for for the MRO. Uh, that's a different consideration, uh, I would say. Um, yeah, that's, that would be my, my short that, answer. Peter. Yeah, and that just nicely gets us back to Brian. I think we're up and running again. Brian, go ahead. Yep, sorry about that, everybody. Um, yeah, so, you know, looking at the uh, engine lease returns, again, technical knowledge and connections is, is, is a very important part. Um, you know, technical reps relationships at the airline, the lessor, the MRO's point of contact is critical. Um, you know, um, Basically, you know, with the reduction in force, many contacts have been furloughed or let go. So having multiple contacts at these various places, and you know, a lot of people who are in and out of there uh, frequently, like a lot of our technical reps, it, it is very important to have those connections. Um, then you go uh, uh, to the next bullet, you know, understanding the, the various uh, digital record applications, you know, there's stream, fly docks, jet tracks, air vault, Sparta, so understanding those and working with those on a regular basis is also um, very important. Um, complete comprehension of the lease contract and its gray areas. You know, um, that very big, uh, uh, you know, uh, someone who understands that inside and out and can work with both uh, lessor and the, uh, and the MRO is very, 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 very uh, uh, critical to getting a efficient uh, return. So prior to removal, um, there's obviously collection of various engine records. You've got, you know, uh, MPA runs or test cell data, uh, ECM data, water, water wash program schedule, uh, fault reports, engine preservation um, information, chip protector readings, engine shop visit reports, etc. Um, then post removal, the engine records collection you know, there's a lot of uh, engine records that are required on that side, you know, the ADs, SBs, LOPs with signature, engine maintenance uh, history, including on-off logs, inventory of the engine, etc. So these are all uh, um, critical to the, uh, the lease return as well. So looking at cost savings in the, just the last summary, um, engine lease return cost savings, you know, a normal lease return can take, you know, five to seven days. Just I'm trying to ballpark this because it can be, depending on the situation, how prepared everybody is, you know, it, it changes. But a normal lease return can take anywhere estimated on the engine five to seven days. Lease returns during <clears throat> bankruptcy situations uh, can take, 15 to 35 days. Um, remote lease return during the COVID could take anywhere from, you know, 25 to 60 days. So based on the uh, cost of an engine, five to 10K per day, 
um, proper management can save, you know, 50 to 175K per engine. Um, and one thing's for sure, everybody's getting a little bit used to, this is the MROs, this is the technical consultants, this is the uh, engine owners, everybody's getting much more used to, um, you know, the COVID piece and doing things remotely. Um, so, you know, my own, the recommendations that we have is, you know, use reputable, knowledgeable part 145 housekeepers and hire, you know, the best well-versed uh, globally connected, you know, technical uh, firms. Um, so then my last slide is just the, uh, a sales pitch slide. I don't know, <laughs> just aviation management. You know, our objective is really to provide comprehension, comprehensive and tailor-made engine management services, which minimize operating costs and deliver the highest levels of quality and reliability to our customers worldwide. So any more information you need on the presentation, uh, we've got the contact details. And I know, like Alan said earlier, I'll have this uh, presentation sent out in PDF to everyone on the call. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Brian. That was very informative and it's a good uh, follow-up to Peter's presentation. So thanks again for that. Um, so if you can stop the share on your side there, we'll get uh, over to... Um, uh, yes, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring up Mike's presentation here. So pardon me if... if uh, if uh, we get it, we have that there, yeah? Can you see that? Yep. Yep. There. Yep. You ready to go, Mike? Yep. So just tell me when to hit the button. Hit the button. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me, Alan? Yeah. There okay. Go. Good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for the invite, Alan. And uh, essentially what, what, what I... What I intend ah. to do. Hello? Yeah. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what, what essentially what I'm going to do is a short short presentation. Uh, Hi. And if you look at the first slide, it's just a quick Hi. review. Uh, firstly, who we are, what we do uh, for people who are not familiar with us or who we are. Uh, secondly, a brief synopsis of APUs, APUs the different applications the OEMs, etc. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, thirdly, then, the current market for, for APUs. Uh, that's pretty quick, uh, and because uh, there is effectively no real market right, right now. Um, some comments on where we see the market going forward and what the, the drivers might be. And then finally, a few uh, points on issues around preservation of APUs on, on stored, stored aircraft. We, we would have a few APUs out there where the, uh, the lessor, the, the lessee has asked us to uh, allow them to hold on to the APU, uh, stop the lease, the, the uh, the, the, the rentals for, for a couple of months and see where we go. And um, I'll have a few comments on, on that. Uh, the next slide. There we go. Okay. Essentially, uh, aerospace industries auxiliary power limited. Um, we are involved in a number of areas, but everything has got to do with Chapter 49 APUs. Um, our primary activity is a short term lease of APUs, primarily when. 
APUs are in shop for, 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 for maintenance. Um, we're also having engaged in part support to uh, APU MROs. Um, and we, f we, we feed that essentially by parting out or tearing down APUs. We trade APUs, we purchase them, we purchase surplus we, we, and, we, and we sell them. Uh, also, we do some APU repair management for smaller carriers where they just hand over the maintenance of, of Chapter 49 to us and we, we look after it. Uh, we're based in, in City North Business Campus, Gorms and County Meath in Ireland, just north of Dublin Airport. Next one. Yeah. Okay. This is just a very short synopsis um, of APUs and their applications. Um, we, we've tended, and, and this is something that's in flux, uh, as I mentioned, older, modern, new models. Um, you know, up to a couple of months ago, uh, there was a, uh, a revival in the life of some of the older models, the, the, the 85 series for the 737 Classics, the uh, 331 series for the 757-767 has got a new lease of life, uh, particularly on the 757, which a lot of people have, you know, uh, explained by reference to the, the, the max issues at that point. Um, all that may change. Um, so that the, the uh, new lease of life that some of these older models have had may be gone. Um, there are two OEMs in, in the APU business, uh, Honeywell and, and Pratt and & Whitney Canada. Um, Honeywell would have about 65%, Pratt uh, 35%. Uh, these OEMs are increasingly today sole source on, on, on aircraft. Um, you know, for instance, uh, A350 is Honeywell, um, the um, 787 is, 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 is Pratt. Um, but going back, like if you go to the um, A320 series, there's a choice. Um, Honeywell have the 131-9 Alpha, Pratt have the APS 3200. And there's a lot of, well, not a lot, but they're, they're, they get varying levels of activity uh, around retrofit programs as one tries to retrofit the other off. Um, that was also the case with, say, the um, older A320s and the 737 Classics. Some APUs have LLPs, some don't. And that can, can be a, um, a major impact on the um, ability to, to, to offer APUs, to sell APUs. Uh, if they've got LLPs, they're increasingly treated like main engines, where full back to BERT, Full trace, the lot is required as if it's a, if it's a main engine. Uh, on, on the other hand, the, the um, 321-350, which is on the A330 and A340, um, it doesn't have LLPs. Um, most of the others do. Um, some APUs have, have dual applications, um, like for instance, the 331, the GTCP331-200ER, uh, is on both the 757 and 767. Likewise, the um, 331-350 um, 
is on both the uh, A330 and the A340, although there's not the same degree of, of interchangeability. Uh, uh, it's not total um, for various sort of reasons that, that, that uh, operators and lessors, uh, uh, aircraft lessors will require. Uh, next one. Hello? Yeah, one second now. I think it's going through these. There we go. Okay. Okay, the, the APU market today, um, essentially it's, it's stalled. Um, simple explanation is that um, aircraft are grounded. Um, and we've seen, we've seen demand both for leases and for sales and for parts just almost, you know, to disappear, but, but it, it, it's severely dented and, and reduced. Um, you might add to that that prior to the, um, the COVID um, pandemic and the implications of it, um, there was uh, an oversupply of specific models uh, from previous aircraft teardowns. And I've mentioned specifically 737 new gen teardowns and the number of GTCP 131-9 Bravo VAPUs that are on the were on the market, um, and owners haven't necessarily started to discount or hadn't started to discount then. But I think you know when we, we the market comes back again, you're going to see some discounting, uh, particularly in that space, just because of, of oversupply. Um, obviously, the, the other major impact on the market at the moment is cash. Everybody wants to conserve cash. Um, you know, we, we, we get offered assets um, every week. Um, we're not buying. Um, and it's because of one, 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 we want to conserve cash, but two, there's such a high degree of uncertainty out there right now. There is some activity, and you know we're we're seeing it. Is but but it's 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 small. It's it's around some some aircraft returns where uh, the uh, operator has to provide a specific APU meeting specific conditions. We've one or two of those going at the moment. There's one or two you know incidents of where APUs go BER and shop, and and then the um, operator wants to uh, replace with new or do an exchange. And also then you've got some, some cargo operators who are still very busy and they've got, there's, you know, they're, they're using the APUs, they're wear and tear, the APUs are coming out, they're going into shop. However, again, because of, of, of the cash situation, because just the whole nature of the um, industry right now, everything, even though we're, there are some deals, everything moves very, very slowly. Next one. Okay, what, what might the market look like going forward? Um, obviously, uh, as in the case of the, the aircraft industry generally, everything is dependent on the pace of recovery. Um, you know, it's the speculation that the short haul activity will resume quicker than long haul. Uh, different recoveries will have different implications for different types of APUs. In other words, you know, um, APUs like the PW901, uh, the, the, the 321 to 500 on the 777, these APUs uh, market might recover much slower because of the 
fact that that, that um, long haul activity might be much slower to recover than say short haul point to point especially. Um, if the cargo market holds up as it seems to be doing and, and, and indeed expanding, um, there, there might well be prospects for older APUs like the PW901 and the 747400 and the 321 200 and 767s as these are uh, used more and more as, 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 as freighters. Um, however, an impact on the um, The APUs like the 85 series, the 331, the 321-350, um, these will be impacted by, we think, by announcements recently that airlines now plan to accelerate the retirement of older aircraft. That, you know, so aircraft like 757767, older A330s, uh, that these are these are going to be parked and stay parked for a long time, and that will definitely impact the, the, the APU market. Um, we see the main market space as being the, 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 the this mid market space of the 131-9A B and the APS 3200. In other words, the single aisle uh, A320 series, 737 series, um, <clears throat> that. Um, that is probably where the best long-term potential exists uh, for, for, the, for, for the, the, the APU market, both in terms of leasing and in terms of, um, of sales. Um, other APUs like uh, the, the, the 321 the 350, uh, the 777 APU, the 300 500 we continue to see oversupply uh, various problems with the cost of owning the APUs, especially the 321-500. Um, that will make the, 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 the underlying value of the APU problematic, but the cost of ownership in terms of the cost of repair and maintenance will continue to be high for, for all sorts of reasons to do with the fact that the uh, OEM will have a significant uh, hold on, 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 on that market. Um, one point I haven't put on the, on the slide but that I would like to highlight is what, when the, the market does come back, uh, what will the implications be for the mix between uh, independent MROs, APU MROs, and the OEMs, particularly um, Honeywell. Um, increasingly, we've seen uh, the independent sector being um, eroded and, 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 and um, um, threatened by the uh, activity of Honeywell in, in the aftermarket. Um, I would have a strong view that uh, we need a, an independent uh, aftermarket as, as a choice uh, for operators um, to the OEM. Um, it's being, it was being squeezed before this happened. Um, I would wonder, uh, will it get even further squeezed once, once we start to come out? Um, in again, finally, or in terms of the, 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 the market at the moment, uh, we see discounts going forward. We see prices falling. Um, 
we are we ourselves prepared to discount, but only when there is right now. It's hard to know. There's no there's no transactions going on, so it's very very difficult to say where where the market is. If there's if there's no market, there's no if there's no activity, it's hard to determine what what a fair price is for anything. Uh, next one. Okay. Finally. Just a, a couple of points on the maintenance and preservation of APUs on stored aircraft. Um, this is something that, that we, we know great uh, knowledge of or interest in up until now, but uh, having a few APUs on stored aircraft at the moment, it's, it's become something that we've, 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 we've taken interest in. I mean, obviously there are specific protocols for stored aircraft, in terms of APUs, the orifices have to be blank, the APUs rotated regularly, and so on. Um, there are specific issues uh, around one APU, which we, we own quite a few of them, uh, and that is the GTCP 131-9 Alpha, uh, on, operated on, or on the A320 series. Um, if it's stored, um, even off-wing, um, in a environment um, that is in any way uh, moist. Uh, the load compressor is prone to corrosion on the shroud and consequently to seize. Um, if that happens, and we've, we've a number of examples of it happening uh, in the past, um, it the APU requires full disassembly to free. So you could end up with a perfectly good low time APU that you need to fully disassemble uh, in order to address this specific this problem that seems to be specific to this, this one APU. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, if any, are there any questions, I'd be glad to deal with them. Very good. Thanks, Mike, for that. Um, so just before we go to the questions, I just want to give you a quick, short update on the uh, APTN um, portal and what's been happening there the last couple of weeks. So I think I've one or two screens to share here on that. You can find them. Uh, so where is it? Da, 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 yeah, here we go. So. That was the agenda. So yeah, the, that's the the, 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 the public website. Uh, anybody that's member of the APTN portal will uh, be familiar with these these type of screens. Um, so the last couple of weeks or the, this week, the big news was Avianca in Colombia and uh, availability of of inspectors to look at stuff in in Colombia. It has been a topic. I got a, I got a couple of questions during the week. That, is there anybody on the system from? from Colombia. So that's just a screenshot of what pops up. If you look at the APTN portal at the moment, there's three guys there. Uh, one Santos de Mont guy um, and there's a couple of independent guys there. If you look at the APTN hub, uh, there are 22 guys in the in the LinkedIn system there that are in Colombia that are following development. So, you know, that's just one of the applications of the APTN portal, an app that are useful if you're looking for uh, tech consultants uh, around the globe. Um, on the power plant side, uh, <coughs> and, or even boroscope side, I'll just have a look at that and, and, and see what, what shows up. We'll, we'll try and clear the, the country list, but again, there are 
you know, some options there from, with guys with boroscope experience as well, if you're looking for people around the world in, in particular locations. Uh, that's it uh, on the APTN side. I'm going to open it up now to questions. I'll start on the boroscope side of things. There was a couple of, of comments there uh, from people on, on with questions for Owen. Do you want to come in there, Owen? He's there. Maybe on mute still, are you? Yeah, sorry, Alan, I was on mute there. All right, no problem. Okay, so the Jack has asked um, if the flexi is more thorough than the rigid, uh, why would a lesser or lessee uh, not specify a flexi if it provides a better indication of condition? And I think the overwhelming answer in that is the, uh, the flexi often drives unscheduled shop visits uh, on both sides. Um, on both, so both the lessor and the lessee obviously want to avoid uh, unnecessary shop visits when an aircraft, when an engine is perfectly serviceable, serviceable to fly. Remembering that all the boroscopes that we're doing are completely out of phase. So, um, generally, uh, that actually ties in with another question, uh, which is, you know, is on short-term leases, are we seeing boroscopes that? exclude the LPT module, you know, just hot section boroscopes, which would be more in line with the, uh, the phase maintenance of the aircraft. Uh, we're seeing quite a few of these in Asia, not so much in Europe and particularly on 777s for some reason that we're just seeing the hot section and do the hot section, don't look at anything else. It's, um, it's looked at going out, it's looked at coming back. And we have seen a few very short term leases with just Birds, FOD, bird strike inspections on the way out and the way back. And again, that is to avoid unnecessary shop visits. Um, there's a question there on shroud deterioration on the LEAP 1A. Um, to answer that, we haven't seen much of that because we haven't seen very many LEAPs. Uh, when we do get a request for a LEAP, it's usually for uh, an FOD inspection. The CFMI themselves take care, they have um, the total care packages, so they are doing an awful lot of the, uh, the leaps themselves, um, rather than the third party independent inspections. So we haven't really seen that. Maybe Pierre can advise if they've seen that in the engine shop. Um, and well, uh, unfortunately, yes, we don't have the, the capability. So no. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. And Owen was asking about, um, remote BSIs, um, you know, where um, somebody on the hangar floor is doing it and it's witnessed. Uh, it is an option we have, but the inspector doing the inspection has to be 100% approved. It's not something where you can have um, somebody from the shop floor control the boroscope and the inspector miles away. It was discussed a few years ago by the Irish Aviation Authority, and I know they went to EASA with it, and it's a maintenance task, so it has to be done on hand. Now, the GE equipment will allow you to uh, have a live stream, just like Zoom, and you can watch the entire boroscope from start to finish. Uh, but uh, for anybody who's ever done that, it's not really an attractive option because the amount of time setting up, um, going through the ports, and getting the right angle, it takes a long time. So all customers pretty much prefer to get the videos as soon as possible after the inspection. Uh, but I don't, the, 
the risk of uh, missing a stage or getting the wrong stage by some somebody who's not a fully qualified boroscope inspector um, doing that on site and being witnessed remotely is too great for us to consider it as an option. I think that covers the questions from the from the chat, unless anybody else has anything. Oh, I think we're good. Um, okay, I'll hand off there to, uh, um, I think there might be one or two questions for Pierre in the chat there. Thanks, Owen. Uh, I think there was one question that I did answer. Is there a second one? No, that's it. I think you're covered, Pierre. Um, so th thanks for that. Uh, just, I just wanted to make a point there on Mike's presentation. I know I didn't ask him to cover this, but uh, it, it was covered when we did the workshop in the WeWork back in, in November, December. The whole area of back to birth research on, on, on APUs. I think it's a little bit different to engines. Won't go into it here now, but if you look back at the presentation uh, uh, notes from, from that, uh, it, it's an interesting topic as well. We might cover it again in the future. So um, any more questions for Pierre, for Brian, for Mike? If not, uh, what we'll do is we'll wrap it up. We're, we're over the hour mark a little bit longer, but I think it was a very useful presentation. Uh, we've had 49 people on the call. Uh, I'll follow up with a uh, usual email with some summary notes and uh, links to the presentations from the speakers uh, that will go out to all of the, the attendees here today and to the invitees that were sent the email invite prior to this. So well, I would like to, I mean, we have a few uh, new APTN members from around the world on, on board here today. I'd like to welcome them here to this call. Uh, next week, I'm looking at uh, covering uh, landing gears and uh, MRO of landing gears, market for landing gears, and uh, and the other issues that COVID-19 brings in terms of, of of landing gears. That will be the topic for next week. So, on that note, uh, we'll we'll close it out. And thanks again for uh, listening in. I hope you got something useful out of it. And uh, just uh, stay safe and um, see you all next week if you're around. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thank you.